0: Welcome to the Real Life Theology Podcast. We have another great speaker and more great content for you today from our 2023 National Gathering track sessions. Chad Harrington, founder of Hymn Publications, talks about how to start a leadership training program at your church to train leaders of leaders. In his home church, Chad has helped develop a program called Digging Deep that raises up younger leaders and people that want to know more about the Bible and become equipped to answer questions and lead courageously. Chad talks about the process that he has put in place, and how you could do this in your church in whatever context that you're in. We hope you enjoy this material. Let's check it out together today.
1: The church that I go to, of which I'm a member, and and where I teach and train up ministry leaders is is about 500 people in attendance, including kids. So um, let me tell you a story that is a driving metaphor for the problem that I see that we can help in the church today. So my first job out of college in Nicholasville, Kentucky, was shredding paper for a mobile paper shredding company. I applied to 17 different jobs right out of Bible college as I was awaiting seminary at Asbury Theological Seminary. I'm a restoration movement guy, wanted to diversify my training. Great conservatives at Asbury As I was waiting to enter the program, I said, oh, I need to make money um, and go to seminary. So the only place that would hire me, well, I didn't want to deliver pizzas, but I got a job shredding paper. And I said during the interview, wearing a collared shirt with a resume, what's going to separate me from all the other people that want this job? And the guy looked at me and later I found out he was laughing because I had a resume at a paper shredding company. (laughs) And he said, someone who can drive the truck. And I was like, fair enough. Funny thing is, I didn't know how to drive the truck. And he hired me anyway. So the training I received on the first day, which was soon after that, was we jumped in the truck together. And he said it was going to be a whole day event. or I think it was at least going to be three or four hours. We drive down the street to one of their clients. We shredded the paper. I barely knew how to work the truck or the machine that was in the back of this truck. We came back, and he said, I think you got it, man. You're good to go. And I was like, what? I didn't know the city. I didn't know how to drive a, this 28-foot truck. And I was afraid I was going to chop my hand off because there's this industrial shredder. And, and he sent me off, and I just had to figure everything out on my own. I may or may not have backed that truck into a sign in downtown Lexington. That I drove away from, didn't know what to do about that. I may or may not have hit this weird protrusion from a gas station uh, with the back of my truck. I may or may not have caused a lot of damage. I ran out of gas one time. Now, that was just my fault. That wasn't a training thing. I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't chop my hand off. And that was just paper shredding. When it comes to ministry training in the church, how much more is at stake than a truck, an empty gas tank? in our physical hands. And yet you will be lucky to find any legitimate training in almost any job in North America, in my experience. But the task is so important for not just the preacher or the seminary student, but for the everyday minister, deacon, elder, staff member, lay leader. So there's this middle ground that I think we need to talk about, which is, okay, there's a small group leader. Fair enough. They're a facilitator. Then you've got someone who's got spiritual authority in their teaching, and they need some form of of robust teaching and training. They typically go to seminary or Bible college, right? There's a rare person that can do that by, you know, one-on-one discipling, but typically you go get formal training. Well, what about everybody in between, what about and with a growing church? You're bringing on staff who have not been formally trained, but yet now they're teaching and now they're spiritually leading. And then, oh, we need to plant a church. You can kind of preach and teach. Why don't you go for it? Well, I guess the, we drove down the street and you shredded some paper here. There you go. There's a church. and we're. But this is God's church. What do we do about that middle ground? That's the problem that I want to talk about. Now, for just a little bit of background, um, 10 years ago, my home church in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, called Harpeth Christian Church, started um, started what we called at the time leadership and ordination classes. And so uh, my dad, Bobby Harrington, with uh, an elder, Tony Dupree, at our church started this. And it was because we had a relatively untrained youth minister, and they wanted to train him in both the theology and the practices of our movement and our particular denomination, or church. You know, We're the non-denominational denomination, right? But we wanted to train people on how we do disciple-making and how we think about Scripture and our philosophy of ministry. Well, we didn't have a structured program until 10 years ago, and over the last 10 years, we've trained, would you say, dozens of people that are now staff, executive pastor, elders. And it has become a really strong training program within our church that has resulted in the best alignment of our leaders, high-level elders, and staff members that we've ever had. And three years ago, I was appointed the deacon of teaching to take over this ministry. And a month from now, I will have completed this circuit of 12 classes that we offer of what we call now Digging Deep, and it's 12 classes over a period of three years, and each class is six weeks each, and we train people for ministry. And that's how I've been talking about it. You could think about it like leadership and ordination training. And so the the kinds of people that we train are those who, the primary people that we seek to train through this program, which is very few, by the way, think On a given year, 1% of your congregation would go through something like this. At least that's our experience so far. But those are leaders of leaders. Okay, so there's leaders, but then there's leaders of leaders. Those are the people you really want to focus on training in something like this. Okay, so disciple making is for everybody, everyone should be discipled. And I would say almost everybody can be a disciple maker. Now, you, we could debate that all day. That's not the point. Some people aren't, aren't good leaders. They could lead, but okay. So, that But what about the leaders of leaders? That's who we're talking about. Now, there's catalytic leaders, apostolic kind of leaders, who lead leaders of leaders, leaders, you know. <laughs> How many you want to add to that? But I'm talking about just the leaders of leaders, and that's a lot of people. So, my calling in life, my sense of calling, is to teach and to write for and in the church. And so, there's people like me, right? The apostolic fivefold ministry from Ephesians four. There's a lot of us out there who are gifted to teach. So you've got to find those people because here's here's the practical kind of scenario. Um, it's someone like Jason Jackson, my Hebrew teacher at Asbury. So he grew up in the United Methodist Church. He became a minister in the United Methodist Church, right? So this problem isn't exclusive to to the restoration movement. But he became a youth minister with no training. I think he may have gone to to get some, like, maybe a a couple credits here and there. But he became the youth minister after he graduated college. And then he started getting really hard questions. And he was like, whoa, I am not equipped to handle these kinds of questions. And so he's like, I need to go to seminary. And so he did that. And sure enough, he did great at seminary. In fact, he, was, uh, he ended up doing so well, he ended up teaching Hebrew, masterful Hebrew teacher. And then he went back into the church and, and he's been teaching. Now here, that's great. I, I actually think that that's great, by the way. I think that he was gifted for that. And he had the time to do that. And he was young enough where it maximized the investment of going off and then coming back. There's some people who need to do that. But I think it's fewer than we tend to think. Because, um, and so let me, I kind of forgot these intro slides. So by the way, I am, I'm actually, I'm part-time as a, as a teaching minister at our church. I'm actually, I'm a business owner. I run a book publishing company. So this is something that I do very part-time. Um, just to give you the full context, my company is called Harrington Interactive Media, and we help, for example, renew with all their books. So my team, wonderful team, um, uh, designers, editors, and all that. So I run a book publishing company. This is just something, okay, so think about who in your church, maybe with the formal training, Josh, can train leaders of leaders. I'm going to give you a scenario where if you don't have that person, there's still a doable way to do it. But I wanted to give you a little more context for, for this. So... The the problem the challenge we'll call it is untrained leaders who are teaching, caring, and leading. And it's like, look, when you get married and you have your first kid, who was ready for their first kid? Right? None of us. And if you thought you were, you were probably worse off. There's there's worse problems than having people who are willing to lead and there's people to lead, and then they go in that position of leadership. That's not a problem. But the problem, if it persists, is that they remain untrained, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it's okay to have untrained leaders, but they need to get trained. And so um, the liability... Let me go back to this Jason guy. So he goes off to seminary. But not all of us can go off to seminary or off to Bible college, financially, logistically, and even in terms of like the health of that model, right? And so I think everyone's kind of feeling this. The Bible colleges um, in the restoration movement, for example, some of them, if not most, are dramatically declining. Now, there's a lot of factors behind that. But then you've got seminaries also. You know, Gordon Conwell basically kind of packed up and, and moved places. So it's not just in our... Everywhere Bible colleges, seminaries are feeling this, churches... I just heard kind of anecdotally from Passion for Planting, they had to turn, uh, kind of cancel their most recent ha- uh, church planter training because they didn't have enough church planters. Okay? Maybe it's time to double down. What are we going to do? What are we going to do to train up the untrained? Okay, so let's brainstorm a little bit. Okay? What are some ideas of what we could do here? We could send them to Bible college, right? Again, I don't want to say you shouldn't go there or go to seminary. So you can go to Bible college. You can go to seminary. What else could we do? What are some ways that you've found to train up people in this middle ground, leaders of leaders? Okay. So would you call that maybe one-on-one kind of? Th- okay. So there's mentoring. We'll call it mentoring, discipleship. Okay, what else? What are some ways to train up the untrained leaders of leaders? Okay, internships, residencies. What's the downside of an internship, by the way? (laughs) They (laughs) might like the other church better. They learn how the other church does it. They learn how the other church does it. Huge. We'll call it a liability. It could be. May not be. okay. They may not come back. Residencies, same kind of thing. Well, what if it's your residency? <laughs> it's the opposite problem. They're probably going to leave after. Okay? What else? What are other ways to train untrained leaders of leaders? I think even a, an issue with internships and residencies is if it's a, you know, if it's a young parent, um, they can't leave them time job for an internship or residency. Financially or logistically, yeah. This may not actually be workable in the same way these might not be workable. And the, the thank you for that. The challenge of one on one mentoring is it's not necessarily scalable. Well, it isn't scalable inherently. Okay. Even, yeah. So men, mentoring generically, but one on one is different. What else? Video or online? Video, that's great. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in books. Okay, go read these. Okay, it's like, you want my seminary training? Here's the 50 most influential books that I read. Okay? <laughs> That's unrelational. Both, I would say, video and books are unrelational. And look, you know, there's a place for that. Just information. There's totally a place for that. In fact, as a book publisher myself, I'm quite partial to book. But I'll stand up here and say that books are not adequate for ministry training. Now God could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with or without your permission. And he's used books in my life powerfully to disciple me. Dallas Willard, I feel like I know the man. Even though he died on May 8th, 2013, I feel like I know the man. Because I've read almost every book that he's written. Okay? But these have inherent limitations. What else? Anything else we haven't thought of?
0: Opportunities.
1: Opportunities? Just okay, just serving, kind of uh, in the trenches experience. Um, that it'll be limited because there's not sort of in pouring, but life teaches you things. I think that's valid. It's not going to be robust, theologically, you know, um, even, specific. You know, opening up your your pulpit if we're talking preaching, mm-hmm. opening up your pulpit to younger people. Oh, to just getting ministry experience, yeah. preaching from yeah, or teaching or le- yeah. I like how Jim Putman talks about it. Then um, his team at Real Life, they say they want people to have a place to play. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. What about, like, kind of a student teacher where somebody comes in and observes first, and then there's a
0: discipleship component of it where you're praying together, you're accepting mm-hmm.
1: spiritual
0: gifts,
1: and yep.
0: then you give that person the opportunity then to make yeah. Or doing or leaving, yeah. While the lead person is still there, we
1: move into kind of I love it. Yeah. So I do. You watch. We do. You do. I watch. You do. Kind of model. Totally. And and we see that in the life of Christ. But also, you know, if it's one on one, there's going to be. It's just not as scalable. Uh, but there's still value, and that can be a part of programs that you do. Yeah. Similar, but.
0: Catalysts, online catalysts, and doing it in a group format, like a New Thing Network does. They're reproducing discipleship catalysts. Okay, those have been very helpful. I
1: don't, I don't know what a catalyst is in this like context.
0: Picture a um, cohort of mm-hmm. fifteen people, three from five different churches, and you have assignments. You're, you're learning. Maybe you're reading a book together, but then you come back together as a group and you process, mm-hmm. and debrief. Kind of get additional supervision and celebration, so the mentoring, kind of, but in a yeah. group setting, like Jesus two on two, you know. And then,
1: and so kind of like books, video, yeah. mentoring. It can be done. The internet. It can be yeah, yeah. So digital, okay. Great segue. Um, here's what I want to propose. An in-house competency-based ministry training program for leaders. Okay, well, let's let's come back to your question, um, but because well, it's it's essentially correlated. What we have discovered over the last ten years is that forming cohorts of a handful of people for a church of our size, so think one percent of your congregation in, in any given year, and again. We're only 10 years in, so hold these numbers loosely. Yours might be double, it might be half, I don't know. (laughs) But for us, it's been about 1% on a given year. We'll sign up for a cohort where they can relationally and together take a journey of three years to be trained in ministry with direct supervision from, in this case, me as the teaching minister of the program, where I guide them and either teach each class or facilitate the teaching of each class that we do in person. We also offer videos online for those who can't make it. And these cohorts take a journey of three years together, 12 classes. So we do two in the spring, two in the fall, in six-week sprints. So the summer you take completely off, kind of the from Thanksgiving-ish until mid-January, nothing. But then you've got Two sprints of six weeks in the spring, two weeks of sprints in the fall. And over three years, this cohort reads 300 pages for each class. They come to or watch. So I downplay the video part and I require people to come to at least five out of six class sessions in person for the relationship. Okay, Some people literally can't make that one time frame. So we do a video component of live streaming and we post it later on YouTube. And then I will walk with the cohort. Collectively, we meet a minimum of two times per year. I just try to set the bar real low for everybody. We end up getting together more than that. But then I also do one-on-one spiritual guidance. So at the beginning, I have them take a spiritual gifts inventory because we want to train people, not just for ministry in general, but I want to train people for their ministry that God's calling them to. And so if we um, ordain someone, which is kind of an extension of this program, not everyone who goes through the program is ordained, but you have to go through the program to be ordained by default. But the idea is that while you're being trained for ministry, you're doing ministry, not somewhere else, and not planning to go somewhere else. We're training you here to stay here. So that, Whatever our unique, hopefully it's not that unique theology, hopefully, hopefully it's a biblical theology, but our unique understanding and approach to Scripture, our philosophy of ministry, when you're done with those three years, you've got nothing else to learn. No, I'm just kidding. You right. you, you've completely been sanctified. Um, that you are competent for ministry, and we have watched you become fruitful Or flounder. And then we can guide you through that relationally. A lot of people come, you know, and I probably get an amen from a lot of senior leaders in this room. Someone comes in and they're like, I'm a teacher. Will you let me teach? Like, we want to see you be proven, right? The foolish leader would say, yeah, here's a spot. No. So if someone wants to be a teacher or leader in our church, Now, there's exceptions, but generally we're like, hey, we have a great training program so that we can be aligned. You will save your church so much heartache by letting people weed themselves out through a ministry training program. Three years is a long time. It's also not that long. It's long enough that if people don't really want it, don't really want to learn, and aren't willing to engage in ministry while they're doing
0: it, then you'll see it. Have you ever wondered what the Bible says about male and female roles in the church? Maybe you have felt unsure of how what the Bible says about this lines up with modern culture. Is it even applicable today? If you have felt this way, we encourage you to go to YouTube and search Male and Female, A Biblical Look at Gender. This is a special six-part series produced by Renew.org to help Christians navigate what the Bible says about this polarizing topic and how to apply these teachings in your context today. If you would like to listen to this series, go to your preferred podcast platform and search The Real Life Theology Podcast, and they're becoming available there as well. If you would like all this great content in book form, you can go to Amazon.com. And look at male and female, a biblical look at gender, to purchase Renee Sproul's new book with all this great information in it. We just highly encourage you to check that out and grab a copy today as well. And share this series with anybody who may be struggling with this topic, who wants more clarity about how to understand it, apply it, and follow King Jesus more clearly today.
1: So the benefits, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write some of these down. The benefits of doing this model, and so we call it. Um, digging deep, it's a, it's essentially a ministry certificate, non-accredited, but <laughs> thank you. So <laughs> it's locally based. I'm sorry, this marker isn't. It's relational because where I'm sitting there looking at these guys and these ladies, eyeball to eyeball, and we're you know either on Marco Polo or a, a thread, or we're talking after class or before class, or they're emailing me, or we see them on Sunday. It's relational because we're doing life together. It's economical. My church invests under $10,000 a year in this program. And that's just starting this year. The first two years I did it as a volunteer. And then I was like, okay, I've got another child coming. Will you pay me a little bit? You know, so then I became part-time. Okay, okay. Now, I do have six and a half years of formal education, so it was a little easier for me, right? Like, th- that's the whole thing. How do you find the person to lead the program? We'll talk about that. But it's economical for your church, especially with renew books coming out. It's like, you want to teach systematic theology? <laughs> Give them that book, right? That was 15 books in one, or 13. <laughs> but then you walk people through it and say, hey, what are your questions, man? What do you disagree with? What are you questioning? Where is that taking you? You can train all your elders, staff, and deacons. You So again, I'm focusing on leaders of leaders. Any, so we make it open. Anyone can attend. But people generally don't stick with it unless they're wanting to be a leader uh, for the long haul. So you can train all these. What's cool, and this is kind of maybe more of my approach to the teaching ministry of the church, but i've decided to make it competency based because i could sit up here and talk all day and people could have a lot more information and there's a place for that it's called book now there's a place for instruction right you get to see what my face looks like what i do with my hands and like there's a place for lecture But my primary metric as a teacher for our church is, can people leave this class and do stuff? So, for example, I teach a class how to read the Bible. By the end of it, because my syllabus is kind of intense, I list the 10 to 12 things, not that you'll be able to know, but the 10 to 12 things you'll be able to do when the class is done. How to do an English-only word study. Horror of horrors. Don't tell D.A. Carson that I'm teaching people how to do an English-only word study. How to do an inductive Bible study. And you know what? In the class, they do it. And they flounder. And at the end of it, I give them gracious feedback so that when they take my Romans class and they do a book study again, they're way better at it. So that when they're teaching the youth ministry, they don't take Romans chapter 3, verse 23 out of context. So they don't take Romans chapter 8, verse 27 out of context so that they can have a tool called how to do a book study. And they've gotten actual one-on-one feedback so that they're competent for ministry. And then I would just, you could add another thing, robust teaching. So let's talk about, if you're like, I don't, who's my person to, to actually lead this program? <clears throat> uh, it's me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's say you're a church of 70. Is that your church? That someone, let's say you're a church of 150 or less, or let's say 300 or less. It's possible you're not going to have this person. Now, Josh, you, sounds like you, you do. and it could you might have a person or it might be you and you're like this person could teach this class this person could teach that, but i need I to, about. Like, but if you're talking about these sorts of things yeah. you could break it up even and what people are so like for example i don't teach our um, apologetics class i could kind of but there's some people who are really good at it i teach things that only i can teach or at least i try to right so but let's say so that's one scenario you could actually teach these classes. And that's what my dad and and an elder at our church did for a while. But then you need to train up so you can actually disciple people into it. I would say, ideally, you could have a formally trained person do this, and they could teach all of it. Or you could actually make it a video-based teaching where everyone watches the videos either independently or you come together in a room and watch a video of a competent teacher who's got the robust formal training. But then you guide and facilitate the relational element. You walk them through their assignments. Maybe you create the assignments and you um, pick the book. And we also memorize 10 verses per class. So 120 verses, 300 times 12, you know, what is that, 3,600 pages, Right? And then they take a test or they do a project per class. Sounds like a lot, but it's doable. So maybe, maybe yours is you get great teaching from like, for example, um, Ozark Christian College has great video series on books of the Bible. You know, The Restoration Movement classes. So there's, there's options on how to do it. But at the end of the day, what we need is trained leaders. It's okay to not start that way, but I think we need to train the untrained. And you could say to me, well, Chad, what about Peter? He was an untrained man who had seen Jesus and that's all he needed. Oh, really? Is that the same Peter who wrote First and Second Peter? But he had an amanuensis who prettied up his words. It's like, I don't think so, man. When he stood up on Pentecost and he was quoting from Joel 2, do you think that that was because he was only untrained and ordinary? No, man. He went to the school of Christ. He spent three years with the incarnate Messiah. Yeah, he appeared untrained and ordinary. But who says that that was accurate? That's what the people of Antioch called him Christians. You know, that's what the, the outsiders called Peter. If you look at the ability to write and to exegete and to quote from First and 2 Peter, that's not an ordinary man. He went to the school of Christ. So here's what I, here's what I like to talk about with people. Um, and when I'm trying to help people find their calling or their place in the church, what I like to tell people is you've got Peter over here, okay? And you've got Paul over here. And according to the world, they're the polar opposites of trained, for all intents and purposes, Peter was untrained, right? I just kind of qualified that, but, but that's how he appeared. But then you've got Paul. And Paul was not only trained under Gamaliel for his Hebrew studies, he was also trained in Tarsus with Greco-Roman rhetoric, grammar, and logic, You couldn't find a more trained individual than the Apostle Paul. And what I love to do is say, and God uses everyone in between. So here's the question for you personally to start. What training has God called you to? Because a lot of times when we talk about Peter, we're like, see, he was untrained, so I can be untrained. Take that, seminary. And by the way, my pastor doesn't really like seminary. It seems to have scarred him with a works righteousness complex. So we should really just avoid training altogether. But then you've got Paul over here, and what I like to say is, where is God calling you in your training to start? Because maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to love Him with all of your mind. Interesting how we focus on the heart in the greatest commandment. Why do we throw out love God with all of your mind? What if God is calling not only you, but many people in your church to rise to the challenge of intense, contextualized, localized training? What if we actually need better training in our churches without sending people off to seminary every time? Or just sending them to the Sunday pew? What if there is a whole program of training That you're being called to lead or facilitate. Because God's calling more people to be more like Paul. God's calling all of us, I know for sure, to love him with all of our mind. There's this scene, funny enough, Peter is a part of this, in John chapter 21, where Jesus had just told Peter in rebuke, Feed my sheep. Remember the scene? Breakfast on the beach. And all of a sudden, Peter's walking on the beach with Jesus. And he tells Peter some hard news about the future. He says, hey, when you're older, you know, when you were young, you, you know, you could, you could dress yourself and kind of go wherever you wanted. But when you're old, someone's going to take you by the hand and you're not going to be able to dress yourself. You're not going to be able to go wherever you want. And he said this as a way to talk about um, the way that he would die. Uh, The way that he would glorify God. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. (coughs) So he's calling him to his specific cross. But then Peter turns around and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved and he says, well, what about him? And Jesus looks at him in the eyes and says, you follow me. And the emphasis was on the you. So here's what I want to say to you. You follow Jesus in the way that he's calling you to follow him. There's the generic, Ephesians 4.1, live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called generally. But there's also the word of Christ where he says, don't worry about that guy, you follow me. And I think that's what we need to hear. I told you the story about, um, I created some good slides here, we're not even using um, I told you the story about Jason Jackson. Um, Jason Jackson got formally trained with I don't even know what he's doing in ministry, but he's doing something. And he's he's teaching and and leading and I'm sure preaching. Very competent guy. But there's also another story. But this is like who Jason was before he went to seminary. His name's Colin Matthews, he's the youth minister at our church. And right now he just started 3 years in our cohort. 2023 cohort I'm calling it. And I was so happy to know that our elders and our executive minister support him spending his staff time being trained up for ministry. He has a psychology degree and he's been discipled, he has a fruitful beginning of a ministry. But he's only about a year and a half into youth ministry and And so they've allowed him and budgeted time for him to be trained without going off to seminary, without going off to Bible college. And I just hope and pray and disciple him towards the idea that maybe, just maybe, his ministry will look different, significantly different. And the legacy of the youth ministry will be significantly different because of the training he will receive in-house. And I hope it saves him and his hearers as Paul talked about. He says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. How do you correctly handle the truth without being taught how to make the incisions? What, do you just throw them to the wolves? There's already wolves out there. Don't throw them. Train them how to fight the wolves. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Look, there are lives at stake. We are in a war like Shadonke told us today. And the worst thing we can do to people besides keep them from the battle is to throw them into the battle without a sword that is wielded to be used by the Holy Spirit. I think that the more quivers we can put in our arrows, the longer we can fight in the battle. And the better we are at using the sword, the longer we can stand and gain ground. Yes, at the end of the day, we just stand if that's all we can do. But why don't we take some ground while we're at it and learn to be thoroughly equipped with the Word of God? So what I want us to do and there's, there's some. You could look at people like Ezra and uh, get some examples of of leaders of leaders. But what this can look like, is things I've already told you about. Um, but I want us to imagine a different future for the church. No longer do we need to cop out and say, "Well, what are we going to do?" There is a way to do in-house ministry training. And it'll help people dig a deep well. Okay, so there's a lot of fallout and dropout in ministry, isn't there? Especially among youth ministers. But hey, just it, COVID revealed a lot of this. People are burned out. And, and it's not just because the sheep bite. It's not just because ministry's hard. What if they needed to take a pastoral and crisis counseling class as a part of a ministry training program and that would have saved their soul? from burnout? And what if you can offer that? What if they become woke and you could have helped train them through systematic and biblical theology? What if they lose their faith but you could have gone through presuppositional apologetics and historical background to the New Testament and saved their ministry? That is possible. And you don't have to farm it out. There are ways to help people dig a deep well, and so um, I've kind of said, "Hey, go do this." Right? So I'm. It's a little bit. I didn't necessarily want. to... I was asked to teach about this. I've only done it for three years. I'm still learning a ton, but we found something that's begun to work, and I just wanted to share it with you all. I have created. I'm a. I'm a writer. I'm a teacher. So I created some systems. I put my. Um, my website up here, chad at harringtoninteractive.com. If you want the, there's about three templates that I've created, kind of documents that give you some more to sink your teeth into. It's like, how do you arrange the cohort model? I have, uh, I do sales for business. It's the exact same principle. I have people sign an agreement. When they sign up for a cohort, I could send you that agreement. What are they signing up for? I can send you our leadership in ordination theology, biblical theology. It's a couple pages, and I can send you an example syllabus. What is it look like? What do you actually read, and how do you arrange? What are the competencies? I can send you that. So um, the other thing is, and then I'll, I'll take a few questions. The other thing is, if you're like, "Hey, I really want to do this, uh, but I need help with actual teaching," renew is in the beginning conversations about potentially creating material, digital material for you. So they've got books. They're developing more and more books. But I just want to put that on your radar. Um, you know, we, we do what we do. And, and by the way, we do have, uh, I've got about six of the classes I've taught. They're each nine hours, right? So six class sessions that are each an hour and a half. I've got about six of those classes on himpublications.com. You just click on Courses. You could check those out. Uh, So himpublications.com slash courses. But uh, there's a lot of great resources out there. And there's only going to, I think, become more. So if you're like, how do I do this? Those are a few places to start. But I just want to encourage you to think creatively. Ask the Holy Spirit what to do.
0: We hope you enjoyed this track session from Chad today on the Real Life Theology podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time to check out our content here at Renew.org. If you haven't gotten your tickets for our national gathering in Indianapolis in 2024, we just invite you to go on to Renew.org, grab your tickets today, grab some for your team. They're the best prices that they're going to be, and we would love to see you there in 2024.